Welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, where we delve into the depths of what it means to be a man in today's world, and we explore the real-life challenges and triumphs that you and I face every single day. My name is Hector Santi Esteban, and I come with no answers, only questions for some of the most wise, insightful, and grounded men that I know. So get settled in. You're listening to Modern Masculinity. Fellas, welcome to another episode. Today's episode is with Ed Frauenheim. He's the author of Reinventing Masculinity, and the subtitle of the book is The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. And I think that really sums up today's episode. And what's interesting is that there's there's these two poles, right? There's the aggro-aggressive alpha male kind of man, and then there's this soft, compassionate, you know, tender kind of man. And and I think what's emerging is is you know why not have a, a space for both? As I was preparing and looking over this episode, you know, I was thinking about, well, is this all that's necessary? And, and perhaps it's not all that's necessary, but I think it is something that's missing in a lot of us, or it's missing as a, an opportunity for us. It may not be your flavor, but knowing that that flavor is available and that option is there I think helps us to feel better about ourselves if we don't exactly fit the stereotype or the expectation or whatever it is that whoever has created for us. So we go over all of them, all, you know, we go all over the map, but it's a fantastic conversation. As always, the book is great. Ed's amazing. I know you're going to love it, but enough of me, y'all. This is the conversation with Ed Fraunheim. Ed, it is a pleasure to have you on the Modern Masculinity Podcast. Welcome. Thanks very much, Hector. Glad to be here. You know, we got introduced by a, a previous guest on the show. And what's awesome, he's like, you've got to meet this guy. He wrote this book. It's called Reinventing Masculinity. And it's like, you guys need to have a conversation. And, you know, that was enough. I said, let's bring Ed on and, and let's have a chat. So I just thought it was so fitting. But I'd love for you to take us into your world now and what's real and present for you. Uh, you know, is there a challenge, a struggle, an obstacle, something that you're going through right now as a man or a husband or father, whatever home looks like? Is there anything that's present for you right now? Taxes. I had a bad tax day, Hector, two days ago, where I went to H&R Block, where I've gone for probably two decades. And normally, I have managed to get refunds when I've done my taxes. But this year, I wasn't as conservative. And what I thought might be maybe a 5K payment at the most was $15,000 that I owed in taxes, which that's a lot of money to me. And it's going to meant that our family is in some debt right now. And that is hitting me in some of those masculinity spots. Like I'm a bad provider. I'm a bad guy in control of his finances. And I had to take my own medicine over the last couple of days of being sort of compassionate to myself and looking at this challenge as a learning opportunity rather than an opportunity to feel shame and to kind of let the shame go. I had talks with my wife, my wonderful partner, and wrestling with how we're going to deal with two kids in college next year, probably. So the taxes and some surprise debt are real for me at the moment. 
I would imagine that there's a two front battle that you're fighting. There's obviously the taxes and there's that part of it. But I know that when I've ran into things like that, all of a sudden, like you kind of hinted at the self-worth, the am I enough? Am I provider? All of a sudden starts eating away. You know, now you've got two battles that you're dealing with. You've got the actual thing that you have to fix. And then all of a sudden you have this internal battle. Was that something that was present for you too? And, And how did you kind of navigate that? Totally. That's really well put. The two battles. Well, at first, I kind of shut down. Honestly, I I was already feeling a little bit under the weather. And when I got that news, it was like, oh, I was feeling pretty unwell. Like I had a flu yesterday, which I think is partly a response to those two different battlefronts you're describing. One is, okay, how are we going to get ourselves back into healthy financial footing? And B, some of that psychological stuff. How do I make sense of the pressures and and the shame I can feel for not being a man about my finances? really, or the quote unquote, a real man. And to sort of say, you know, that's okay. I've done my best. Most years we handled this stuff pretty well this past year. I'll also say one of the reasons why this surprise and debt came about was that I took less work in the second half of the year so that I could focus more on these topics I care about. Masculinity matters and workplace culture. And the revenue hasn't been coming in like I hoped it would, Hector. So I need to give myself a break there. I'm moving quicker into that sense of self-compassion, of ease than I probably would have in the past because I've gotten a little better at navigating these things. But still, it's been a challenge. Kind of bringing a little bit more to your work, how at the center of your work would you say that is, right? That ability for men to give themselves compassion. It seems like that is a totally foreign concept to most guys who are hard on themselves, who load up, just keep putting baggage on. And so I'm curious, you know, with this idea of reinventing masculinity, how much is that self-compassion a part of it? It is at the center. That's so well put, Hector. The subtitle of our book that I co-wrote with Ed Adams, Reinventing Masculinity, is The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. And the compassion piece really does start with self-compassion. We have a quote in our book that I think Ed Adams found from maybe one of the guys he's worked with, my co-author, that we men never beat ourselves up lightly. We beat ourselves up heavily. And like you said, we keep putting stuff on our backs. We need to give ourselves a break and to realize that to give ourselves a break, to be kind to ourselves, to to speak to ourselves like a best friend would when we've made a mistake or we've got a challenge, that's really so important. And it allows us to show up better as husbands, as fathers, as colleagues, as leaders. There's, I think, a myth that if we give ourselves a break at all, we're going to become quote unquote snowflakes and we'll melt in a puddle of tears. I think we're really far, most of us, from going to that extreme. We tend to be much more on the side of self-loathing, really getting stuck in these cycles of recrimination and hating on ourselves, really, that gets in the way of a greater life fulfillment and really being the kind of man we want to be in the world. Yeah. I think one of the challenges that men face, I have, is like, what's the model? What is the ideal? One thing that I always go back to is like, we read, I think it was called A Streetcar Named Desire. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. that- that place Stella. You know, where he's like Stella, right that moment yeah. and i think about yeah. that as the archetypal guy and i'm sitting there reading this in eighth grade this is the ideal or we look at a homer simpson or a, an al bundy or uh even a tim allen type right and there's all of these models that don't fit into at least what i'm sitting there saying that's not me i don't fit with that and i think that we're approaching a time where everybody is able to create what masculinity means for themselves, 
But also when you're standing in front of Baskin Robbins or or at Cold Stones and you're like, I don't know what flavor I want. This is overwhelm. And so that ability to even decide what the ideal is, I think, has been a big challenge for a lot of men. I think you're right on the mark there. And I think we're seeing that confusion lead some guys to gravitate toward the Andrew Tates of the world. Like there's very, I would say, regressive dangerous models of masculinity where it's about being a bully, where it's about being a misogynist. And yet I think there's also some really promising role models out there. You know, it may be hard to to sift through the noise to find them, but if you see even in some of the Marvel movies, like Captain America leading a support group and being a little more emotionally vulnerable than some of the superheroes of our past, say, or if you think about some of the sports leaders of today. I'm in San Francisco, Golden State Warriors on my basketball team. And, and Steph Curry is an interesting model of a guy who's not huge, not the ripped giant of sports heroes in the past, say, although he's super strong for his size, but he's humble. He's playful. He's joyful as opposed to dominating. He's plenty competitive, but he's bringing other elements to the table. And if you, if you think of our president, Joe Biden is a deeply empathetic guy. When that version of masculinity won in the polls over Donald Trump's sort of bully, mean-spirited, stoic kind of masculinity. Stoic is probably not the right word there. It's more victimization guy in Trump's case, but certainly one that is about domination and winning at all costs and not very empathetic. So I think there are role models out there, but there is definitely a lot of confusion to your point, Hector. I grew up in the 90s, you know, kind of came of age in the 2000s. And the ideal of masculinity was big, strong, physical features, lots of money, and lots of women promiscuous. Like those were the three things. That was the criteria by which men were, let's call it judged for lack of a better term. I think intuitively I knew that that didn't seem like a sustainable model. And perhaps it's just because I came from a family where that kind of stuff did not fly. So if I ever tried to come in and walk in with that kind of attitude, I would be sent to the door by a variety of my aunts and strong, strong female women, you know, family members. But All that to say that it's changing, it's shifting, it's evolving. And I think that we are starting to move in the right direction and people are starting to wake up to what else is possible, right? A different, let's call it flavor of masculinity. You don't have to throw it out. It's still a steak. It's still whatever, but it's flavored differently. It's prepared differently. There's some differences and nuances to it. I like that framing and it really corresponds to what I've been talking about with respect to a confined masculinity that has kind of crimped our choices as guys to some of the things you were just talking about, physically strong, rich, getting all the girls. We sometimes use terms like the protector, provider, and procreator. Those are some of the few roles we could have that involve those three things. But those are very narrow roles. And we can keep those and add to them. Like, so yes, we want to be fit and strong, be able to protect people that are in our care, say. But can we also add to those, say, like the caregiver, someone who's more involved directly in providing care? Like you were talking about picking your kids up from school today and being nurses, being folks involved in dementia care is another territory I've been exploring. Or the sensitive lover, not just the sort of guy that's got woman on their arms, but really a connected, communicative partner, a romantic partner, and maybe a spiritual seeker. These are some roles that have been kind of pushed to the side by that confined masculinity. And the ways we relate have also been narrowly defined by things like competition, domination, isolation. We're self-reliant. We don't need anybody's help. Well, we're kind of realizing, okay, that, that has a place, but can we also be collaborative? 
Can we also be emotionally expressive and connected? And can we realize that we're interdependent, not just dependent for some of the things we do? We're calling for freeing men from that confined view of how to be a man and freeing all those around them as well to live fuller lives. Yeah, I think it's a great point that these roles, it's not an instead. And part of the reason is, and I've shared this on a variety of these conversations, that I've been spending more time at home with the kids. You know, my wife is out traveling and working more. And at the beginning, there was a lot of resentment because I felt like I shouldn't be doing it. Like, this is not what a man does. A man is not supposed to clean the house. A man is not supposed to be watching the kid. Like, And just that belief, just that disposition caused the resentment. When all of a sudden I started to think about, well, why can't my role be here? Just changing the perspective. Why can't I bring my ability to bring order and balance and all of the traditional kind of masculine kind of things? Why can't I bring that to the home? Our house, we have two toddlers right now. Our house is chaos. You know, it's like, (laughs) it is absolutely the barbarians are at the gate. And so for me, just the reframing of that really allowed me to be okay being there and be more present and, and the whole thing. And I would imagine that a lot of guys are out there feeling like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be a caregiver. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing because our fathers, our grandfathers, our uncles, or whoever didn't do that, right? And I think that that's a shame. I totally appreciate your candor in that. I have felt a lot of those feelings too. I have mostly been the breadwinner of our family, but there have been times my wife has gone on like artist retreats or artist projects. And I was the stay-at-home parent, you know, at times and wrestled with some of those same things. I'm curious if you found satisfaction in being a more involved dad than you might've expected. Satisfaction is an interesting word. Or fulfillment, maybe. Again, tell me what it's meant for you. Yeah, yeah. No, I've really enjoyed and cherished the extra time that I've been able to spend with them. And our connection, although over the last few days, we're going through the last maybe week or so, we're just in one of those periods where they are just kind of pushing the boundaries. But outside of that, you know, if I take a holistic view over the last maybe six months to even a year as this shift has happened, the connection that we've had has been, I wouldn't trade that and the quality time that we've been able to spend together. If you were to say it at the beginning or even at the end and say like, this is how much time it's going to be. And this is how frustrating at times, I think even then it might be like, whoa, that's a lot because it was. But on the other side of it, I'm so blessed that I got to spend that much time with them in a time like that where they're so young. You hear people talk about, oh, it's so precious. They're only little kids once. And it's like, I really got to be there for most of that. And I'm grateful for that. And I don't know that if things didn't play out as they did, that I would have naturally spent that much time with them or naturally done those things because that wasn't the case before my wife was spending. It was about 50-50 and it went to about 75-80-20 for a part of it. But I'm grateful for it, you know? That's really neat to hear. And you're not alone in that. There's some interesting research that during the pandemic, as more men, more dads spent time at home, they changed their identities around questions of caregiving and parenting. And they identified more as active fathers and they don't want to go back. There's some research that came out in an article in Slate earlier, maybe I think it was last year. And that was fascinating to see, encouraging to see similar to your experience and similar to my experience too. I'll be a little more candor with you and share that Part of the challenge, though, is that my wife is so hard charging and ambitious and 
she has such big goals that the only challenge was figuring out a way of how do I keep raising the bar myself? How do I not settle? Even so in the fact that part of the reason that I know that we got together, part of the attraction was my ability to go out and create and do big things and whatever. And so all of a sudden, if I'm being frank, like I would get really nervous about being too complacent because because I think perhaps that's part of my worth, but I think that's also part of the attraction was that, and I don't know what that is, but I, that was definitely a fear was like, if I'm just a stay at home dad, am I as attractive as a partner? as as someone who is providing. And I don't know what the answer is to that. Well, well, was your wife giving you kisses and still uh, attracted to you? What did you discover there? Well, we were going through our own challenges at the time, so I don't know that they were correlative necessarily. But it was also part of the, the challenge as well is because she's going on her own amazing journey and she's doing amazing things in her career. And part of it was I was standing over there in my own insecurities, if I'm being frank, saying, what about me? What about me? And that was very unattractive to her naturally. And so there was some wrestling with that. At the end of it, it was like, no, I have to pursue what is inside of me instead of what I think I had done too much, which is be responsible for people's needs. You know, I think one thing that's come up is like being responsible to and responsible for people. And so it was just a big realization that I think we're still in the middle of. But that was an interesting part navigating, okay, I can't throw away all my ambition. I can't put away my business, all those sorts of things. A, because we're not in a financial place to be able to do that. But B, I don't think that it would be true to the man that she came into the relationship with. So I don't know. That's where we're at, though. Oh, thanks for sharing all that. These are tricky topics, you know, and both men and women bring their expectations of masculinity and partners to the relationship. It's just us men that have got some confined views of what it means to be a man. One thing we've heard from a lot of men in, in, as we wrote this book is that their wives want to see them as ATM machines. It's hard for them to break out of that old masculinity, not just because it's hard for them to get to a new place, but because their spouses or their partners are wanting them to stay in that box. We all have muddled expectations, right? Yes, that's a good way to put it. I saw a clip the other day where, I don't remember who the talk shows were, but it was a big talk host and, and an actor is relatively famous. And he says, if he uses words, he says, if daddy wants a sandwich, you're going to go make a sandwich. And he says, well, if there's an attacker and someone's you know, attacking you, what do you expect the man to do? And she's like, well, you know, to defend her. If we're going to open the door, she's getting in the car. What do you expect the person? Like, you know, there's all these expectations. And then on the other hand, she's like, so when he wants a sandwich, and I think that's a very exaggerated view, but I think in the same way, we have these, we have these mixed and muddled expectations of who's supposed to do what. And if you're doing that, what does it mean that I'm doing? And can we both be doing that? Or who's who's covering what basis here? And, and I think we're in the middle of that conversation. I agree. I love what you said about you having to figure out what you want to do. Because I think what you were speaking to there is that the need for men to learn about their own internal callings and compass. Because I think so much of what we've been socialized to do is to fit these external expectations. As you said, they're now more muddled. But one of the things that I found in this research into men and masculinity is that a lot of men have foregone an internal life. What are the things that really move them? What are their deepest values if they try to just... In pursuit of those things that we had talked about, which is, you know, providing, being physical and providing money and women, pursuing those three things because they think that that's what they're supposed to pursue. And so they just pursue that for the sake of pursuing it. I had never thought about what I would do for something outside of the opposite sex. I'm like, wait a minute. Ever since I can remember, that was my sole reason to do anything. <laughs> 
thing was for that. So now all of a sudden you really, you know, 30, I'm 31 to actually think about, well, what do I actually want? Not because I want a partner or I want some validation or I want intimacy or whatever, but what do I actually want? The men's groups movement, the, you know, I would say call it the healthy men's groups movement has been really interesting because I've, I've been sort of looking at this territory. And when we talk about in our book about men mentoring men is a group that's been around for 30 years. And there's a great story of one of the guys in that was following that old path. And I think he was in the insurance industry doing some kind of white collar work. And as he felt more comfortable hearing his soul, if you will, like what was internal to him, what were his inklings of what he wanted to do? He realized, you know what? I really want to be a nurse. And so he left that white collared, more professional, manly job and became a nurse. And not only did he become a nurse, but he became a great nurse. And he helped turn around a culture that had a very dark flavor to it in an ER where he worked and said, you know, this is not healthy for us to be making a lot of kind of macabre jokes about gunshot wounds and so forth. Let's try to be more positive here. So when men can have the space and they can connect to their deeper callings, to their their spirit, a lot of really good things happen. And I think you're having conversations like this on your podcast is making more of that space so men have permission to ask, what do I really want to do? Yeah. This has gone all over the place and I'm excited because I think these conversations, at least for me, they're ever so relevant and present. And I would imagine that guys out there are experiencing similar things. If people want to get connected with you, obviously the book, I'd love for you to share where they can get the book. But if they also want to kind of just get connected in your world, where can they go? LinkedIn is probably the easiest place. You can search for me there, Ed Fraunheim. Also, my website is edfraunheim.com. Happy to connect with you either of those places. And yet, finding the book on Amazon or a local bookstore, Reinventing Masculinity, excited for folks to read it and share their thoughts on it. So yeah, thanks for that invitation, Hector. Yeah, go get the book. I'm getting it on my Kindle right now. My last question for you, Ed, is what does modern masculinity mean to you? I think it means arrow and circle masculinity, Hector. And when I say that, I'm referring to that traditional male symbol you see on bathroom doors with the sign for Mars, some have called it, where we have a circle and then sticking up to the right is an arrow. And for thousands of years, but not all of human history, but for thousands of years, we've focused on the arrow only as men, the purposefulness, the aggression, the isolation and self-reliance. But there's a whole other part, the circle part, which you could say it relates to compassion and connection. Frankly, the feminine energies of yin and yang and masculinity, pulling them together as the Eastern traditions have done in some ways better than in the West, but we have ignored that circle. And I think modern masculinity is now about recapturing all of us as men, which is to say the arrow part, not losing that, but adding to it the receptivity, the intuition, the connection that the circle represents. So I think we're moving toward this arrow and circle masculinity. And to me, that really is a great modern masculinity. Yeah, that's been so much of this conversation. Guys, thank you for sticking with us and being part of the Modern Masculinity Tribe. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, we would love a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if there's someone who's going through this similar stuff, there's a guy out there who's who's looking for answers, hope, support, send them this episode. And then take one thing that you got from Ed, just one, jot it down, reflect on it. If there's something to implement, go and take action on it. Let us know how it goes. We'd love to hear the results. Thanks again for sticking with us, guys. Appreciate you being here. We'll see you on the next one. Later, y'all.